welcome to the We Talk Health podcast, the official podcast for West Tennessee Healthcare. Please be advised that this podcast is not intended to replace any medical advice. Always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing said in this podcast is intended to supersede or supplement the direction of your medical caretakers. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer any questions you may have. Welcome to another episode of We Talk Health. My name is Will Cashagro, and I'm here today with the Butterflies Embrace Bereavement Program team members. We have Leanne Sutton, who is the Perinatal Bereavement Coordinator. We have Mary Beth Dunnigan, the Perinatal Bereavement Counselor and Community Liaison. Scott Bloodworth, who is the Bereavement Chaplain. And Rachel Ryan, who is a Certified Child Life Specialist. How are you all today? We are great. Today we want to record this podcast all about Bereaved Parents Month, which is the month of July. Leanne, I wanted to ask you, what exactly is Bereaved Parents Month? Can you kind of dive into what that is? Sure. So Bereaved Parents Month is a month set aside for us to help bring awareness to the number of, of families who are grieving in our community, uh, right here close to us. There's so many families that have experienced the death of a child, and so we want to make sure that they are given the opportunity to, uh, in the community, bring awareness to that and to make sure that we support them and to help us shine a light on our program so that we can explain to the community what we have to offer and how important it is. Bereaved Parents Month is um, a time where we can bring awareness and a light on the subject of grief. So there are so many families just here in our community, right right next door to you, who are grieving the death of a child. And so our program brings so much support and resources to those families. And we want to take some time now to just highlight our program and explain to the community why we're here, what we have to offer, and the importance of our program. So with me are so many of my most favorite team members. Each one of them has a great importance to supporting a family. So I'm going to give each one of them a chance to introduce themselves, tell how they came to be part of this team, and why it's important to them. So Scott, why don't you start first? I'm Scott Bloodworth. I am the hospice chaplain uh, with the Bereavement Care, and uh, I've been with the program, well, pretty much, was it five years? Pretty much since yeah, its inception, exactly. Leanne recruited me uh, actually in the hallway of A3, our women's and children's floor, and asked me if I would be interested in being involved. I and did. I said, yeah, sure, whatever. And Did you know what that meant at that time? No, I did not. Exactly. Because I think you misled me. You told me I wouldn't have that much to deal with, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, since then, I, I'm. it was a great, great blessing. I can't thank you enough. We've helped a great number of people. And it's a, it's a great blessing. My role is to provide uh, spiritual and emotional support for both mother and father, and if for that matter, anyone else, family members who are struggling and have questions. But that's my primary role, is to provide that emotional and spiritual support. As Will and I were talking not too long before, it's not necessarily a religious support. Exactly. Uh, it is, it's spiritual, you know, because not everyone is Judeo-Christian, make up a multi multi-faith background Mm -hmm. yeah and we definitely want to provide support to any number of religions 
that come into contact with our program because there are so many different ways that families believe in life and death. And so we have to respect that and support them through that. So, Rachel, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here, why you're part of this team. Yeah, so I am the Certified Child Life Specialist here with West Tennessee Healthcare. I've been here 13 years. I was thinking back, how did I how did I get into this team? I think the common theme is I recruited each one of you. Yeah, when Leanne came on and started at the program, I mean, she really started from the ground up. And this is something, this is a program that is very unique, um, and it was very needed. And it's a one-of-a-kind program, and she can kind of tell you a little bit more about that. My role is to help provide sibling support. Um, a lot of people maybe forget about the siblings. and that's so true. So that's my role is to help them along the way and to remember that they are just as much a part of the family as mom and dad. And so they right. probably have or they do have the same expectations. Um, they may look a little different, but they had an expectation that they were going to be bringing home a baby brother or baby sister. Yeah. And so, you know, really talking with the parents about how do you talk to your children about um, death? What can they understand about what has happened? I'm really talking about developmental process of that as well. Right. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I do. So, the importance of talking with children builds such a solid foundation for them in their adult life as well. So that's really where I think you're so important to our team because you're helping to build a solid foundation from the very beginning. Um, and that could be at three years old or that could be at 17. It never it never is the same. Every family is different. And so that solid foundation is so important. And I definitely want to talk more about that too. Mary Beth. Tell us your kind of unique role that you have worked your way into um, mm-hmm. in the last couple of years and, and what what you see is your importance to this team. Well, my first role is I'm a bereaved mom. So five years ago, I became a bereaved mom. And so I feel like that's my most important role in this team that I give other moms is just that connection of something tragic that connects us together. Started two years ago doing sibling bags and working with Rachel, doing sibling bags for kids who had lost baby brothers or sisters. And Rachel helped a lot with getting those resources together for kids ages one to 18 and making sure they have the right resources. And recently, was able to start offering music and art therapy from Star Center for siblings who have lost a baby brother or sister. And then just in the last month have now become your right-hand partner. That's right. (laughs) So now my role is going to be following up with the moms for 13 months after they leave the hospital. One thing that I do like to do is to go in and meet the mom right before she leaves the hospital, let her put a face with a name, so she knows who's going to be calling her for the first couple of weeks a few times after she leaves the hospital, and then I will follow up with her for 13 months after she leaves through her grief journey and making sure that she has the right resources that she needs, not only her, but her spouse or partner, her children connecting her back to Rachel if she didn't get to meet Rachel in the hospital. That's pretty much my role and how I got here. Wow. That's so a tell lot. us about you. 
So my role is to kind of coordinate um, and help provide a, a, a purpose and a grounding vision for the program. So when I started five years ago, there was pieces of this program, but the team concept had not been introduced. And I feel like that's the biggest asset that we have, which most people probably don't understand exactly what that means. But each of us provides something unique and different. And I think the the best way to explain it to someone who's never heard about a bereavement team is that not one of us is any more important than the other, but you put all of us together and you have the full picture of the, of the puzzle. Um, we're each a jigsaw piece. And so we fit together, we work together, we respect each other. And our, our goal as a team is to support a family in multiple ways. And so I feel like that's really my biggest contribution is to make sure that the team works together and fits together and that we mold into just the perfect source of, of support for a family. I will say that even in the last six months since I'd, I'd started helping a little bit more, even doing our, our quarterly meetings, that even if the family doesn't have children, everybody is so involved in each family's care even if their part doesn't really pertain to that family. That's so true. I think that's, I mean, that says a lot for mm-hmm. a group of people, different personalities. We're all from different career fields. Right. You know, we have right. social work, business, pastoral care, child life, and it just all mixes very well together. Yeah. So. In, a, in a beautiful mixture. Yes, it does. Yes. So let's talk a little bit more about how we each interact with the families, where we first meet them, what our role is when we visit with them, what our goal for that visit might be. So let's talk a little bit about that. I see our team kind of in two sections, and I hope it's easy to understand this way, but there's what I call the active care when the family is in the hospital or coming into the hospital setting, preparing for the death of a child. And then there's the aftercare. Once they leave the hospital and they're back in their community, in their own church, um, with their family and friends, that support changes into aftercare. So I want to talk a lot about that, the differences that we each play in those two types of care. And let's just kind of explain that to those who might be listening. Almost invariably, I will get the first notice well, I say that, I guess it would, it would, depends on the course of the day, but I am usually the first one there at the hospital you because are. of my hours. Yeah. So I will generally make first contact. I try to kind of feel out the situation, get a good read on the attitudes, mm-hmm. the spiritual stability and psychological stability uh, of the family. Right. Which is so important. I mean, that first perception that you give us is invaluable because you're seeing them at the moment of shock, basically. Right disbelief, shock, complete turmoil in their lives. And so your input is invaluable then. And, you know, at that point, uh, try to determine what their specific needs are. If they have family members, if they have children, then Rachel usually will get a text from me and say, hey, I need your help. And then I just try to relay that information to you Mm -hmm. um, the best way I can get that information to you. And uh, we just move on from there. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're actually meeting them first, and it could be they might be in the ED. They might be coming over from a clinic setting where they have just found out the news and being admitted to the hospital. They might have heard the um, the, the news that their baby's not going to survive a couple of days prior, and they're planning to come in. So you meet them at many different types of ways. But what's common, I think, with your first visit is that 
you're explaining to them you're not going to be alone. You've got a team around you that can support you, and we have resources. Yeah, that's that's, that's primary. Important. That's primary is I'll tell them that I am one member of about a four-person team, exactly. including our physician, and that you know you. It's almost like a uh, like a movie. I'll tell them you're going to be visited by several people over the next couple hours that are going to come in and visit, and you, they're all going to have a specific part that they're going to play. Right. And basically I tell them from my viewpoint, if they have, if they're frustrated, if they're aggravated, if they need to vent, then I'm the one that they, that they vent to mm-hmm. and vent on and try to try to deflect that away from our nursing staff because people are very, very angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very emotional, very raw at that moment. Yes. So it's, it's extremely important that that first contact is made and we so appreciate the role that you play how soon after that initial meeting and once the team has kind of been put in place do you see them again and and what is your focus then my focus i will generally see them after delivery Mm -hmm. um, whether that's via c-section or or natural delivery i will visit with them after they have time to kind of come to grips to a certain extent with the situation again they're generally in shock but, but at that point they are more able to understand what I'm trying to say. I will visit with them and again, try to meet their needs. And not everyone, as I said early on, not everyone has a religious foundation. Um, Most people. And what if they don't? What's your goal then? Well, at that point, it's, I provide the care and, and tell them, Hey, you know, it's okay because we're spiritual beings, you know, whether we, whether we believe in a, in a, our different faith backgrounds. We're all spiritual beings. Most of us will acknowledge the fact that something has gone wrong with the universe. And that's what I tell them, you know, as, as they talk about that, that, you know, this is not fair. And I'll tell them the universe is not fair. Exactly. Um, In this fairness is going to be determined at that point in time, nothing seems fair. And fairness is going to be determined as time goes on because we don't know how all of this is going to to turn out we have had families that have been terribly terribly distraught that thought their lives would never come back together that this makes no sense whatsoever and now they're involved in different agencies and foundations and they see a purpose yes exactly they see the the rightness everything comes back into perspective i guess you could say full circle yes a lot of times yes. we we can talk about full circle moments and yeah. we know specifically certain families that have had that moment and have used pain and tragedy for purpose again exactly and that's that's pretty much what i do is try to help them look past that and say you're going to be once you get over this hill you'll have a better perspective on how things play out but Obviously, I can't hit them with all of that at one time. Right. This is something that's stretched out. It's building blocks. Yes. Yeah. So if a family doesn't have anyone in their life that's a spiritual support to them or they don't attend church, are you available to do memorial services and funeral services for a family? Yes, yes, and have done those. Um, and that's the thing is, is I'll, I'll ask people generally as they come into the hospital, I'll ask them if they have ministerial support of any nature. And if they say, no, I don't, and then I'll tell them, then while you're here, I'm your minister. I'm going to take care of you. I'll provide for your spiritual needs. And uh, if you have any other needs uh, after right. discharge from the hospital, such as services, memorial services. And again, I've done 
I've Countless. Done all, yes, and I've done all backgrounds. I've done everything, right. you know, just about any religious background you can think of. I've had some part to play in that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or Judeo-Christian. Connecting I'm, families with support in the community as well. Yeah, if they're not connected, that's sometimes the role that you play then too. Yes, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm a Judeo-Christian minister by faith, but, you know, when we have Buddhist or Hindu or uh, Islamic, mm-hmm. then I can connect those with the, connect them with the people that, that can help them. Right. That can right. meet their needs. And so as a community person, when we have events and fundraisers, what do you feel like your role is then? I just kind of help. I, I, I'm a doozer. I kind of go where I'm directed. I'm kind of there. I, I do what I'm needed to do. There's, I, I played lots of different roles. From leading our memorial service to offering prayer at time of the emotion when it's really high at our fundraisers to, to any number of things. I mean, you're multifaceted. Well, I think we all are. I right. think that's what makes us such a great team. We right. all, anyone can provide the care that I really do. I mean, I'm looking over here at Mary Beth. You know, her husband is a minister. She's a person of great faith. And if I'm not available, if I'm on vacation, I know that that, that area is going to be met. Same way with you and Rachel right. and, and our nursing. Our nursing staff is so well-trained, they can also fill that role. And that's, again, I think that's what makes us work so well together. Right. So I think um, one thing that hasn't been mentioned that I think that means a lot that even would be good for the community to know is when a baby's death does happen in any part of our floor that the way that you assess the needs of the nurses true and how one of my favorite things that you do is blessing of our hands and anointing our hands with oil and that's one of my my very favorite things and I think it means a lot to our nursing staff too of how you debrief with them in a situation because you know we have family that we're taking care of but it impacts every nurse that's involved in that patient's care as well every Every physician yeah cna every pct every person that comes into the room to clean or to bring food they know what that room means and what's happened in that room so it's very important that that scott provides continued support to our staff it's it's unbelievable yeah well that's i mean that's again i mean i hear the same thing from our patients um from our doctors our nurses about all of us i've had i had one family uh not too long ago that i had put rachel in contact with i said i don't know that what their needs are going to be and i don't know what fully what all you did but they couldn't stop singing your praises and that's the thing is is that i am so proud to be a part of this team and and it's kind of a Leanne knows this better probably than most of the rest of you. It's it's valuable enough to me to where if I don't get to see you all, I do not want obviously bad things to happen. But I come down that hall and wave to you all every day virtually. That's kind of a high point of my day. Um, it keeps me in touch. So it's it's very valuable to us, I think, as as team members and not just to the families because we really we embrace the families that we minister to, and they become part of our family. They do. I recall another thing that Scott does that's of importance for sure is God's other ministers and how to minister to hospice families and bereaved families. Even though they're a minister and support in many, many ways their congregation, death of a baby is not an easy journey. And so guiding ministers on how to provide 
appropriate support is another thing that Scott does. Yeah, because we're not taught naturally how to deal with death. You know, we're told about living and living for the moment and doing everything we can while we're here on earth, but we're not taught how to deal with grief and death. And so it's just not natural to us. And the death of a baby of a child is out of the natural order of things. And so to put that in perspective and help other ministers, other community leaders to learn more about how to support a family appropriately, what to say, what not to say, what kind of things can you refer back to biblical things and spiritual things, what's not appropriate. All of those things are what Scott brings so beautifully to the table and helps us out greatly with. So Leanne, what exactly do you do for the program? So uh, I meet families at all different stages when they enter the hospital or sometimes even before they enter the hospital. And we're going to talk a little bit more about if a family finds out during pregnancy that their baby um, might have an illness, might have a diagnosis that is difficult to manage, or if the baby might not have um, the best chances of survival after delivery. I will usually meet that family early on during the pregnancy and I'll go with them to OB appointments to talk with their physicians about what specific needs the baby's going to have. And then I help to coordinate this team here, including another team member, um, one of our physicians, who we sit down with families uh, once a month at least, sometimes more than that, depending on the need. Um, we talk about what's probably going to happen and what they could expect during the pregnancy, what complications at time of delivery, the likelihood that they're going to have needs um, that they're not even aware of yet at time of delivery and begin conversations with the family of what do they need to think about? What can we go ahead and plan for now to kind of take the surprise out of that day and, and maybe make it a little bit more bearable? One important thing to know is that we never take away hope. Sometimes people in the community think that because a family is going to meet with our team that that means there is no hope. And that is so the opposite of what our focus is. We, we certainly all need hope in our life, especially now. And at that time when a family has been given a diagnosis for their baby that might be terminal, we definitely need to share hope and love with them. So I always want to make sure families know that up front is we're here to support you and to love you. And whatever that looks like, whether your baby is able to survive delivery for a few moments, a few hours, a few weeks, we're here and we're going to help whatever we can do. We're going to help with those decisions and those um, needs that come up. So I will, I will help guide a family through that difficult time before they come into the hospital. Then the next way would be if a family comes in to just a regular OB appointment and they're told that something's happened to their child, their baby is not surviving and they need to have an emergency plan in place. The physician at the clinic will call me and um, Scott and I will be ready to meet them when they come into the hospital. We'll meet them immediately and kind of help them sort through all the questions and all the feelings and get a plan in place. Uh, who needs to be here? Do they have children? Do they have support? Just kind of thinking about what delivery is going to look like and answering those questions. So that's a very kind of spontaneous role that Scott and I have. And that stability for them is so vitally important because their world is just turned upside down. So, yeah, that's... That's a major role. Something I say to most every family is we're going to be your people. We're going to be the ones that surround you and stay by your side and, and answer questions and help you with those very, very difficult moments. We're going to be your people. And most families always immediately kind of 
take a sigh of relief at that moment. They look at us and go, oh my goodness, thank you. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. How do I even think? You know, what do I say? What do I plan for? And sometimes we don't have the answers, but at least having a face and a name and someone they can call when they do have questions to maybe help them find an answer is very important. So that's a great part of having a team as well. Oftentimes, too, Leanne, you're the very first person that they call or text if they are going into labor. That's Mm -hmm. true. And you want them to do that. Yeah, I need that trust. Right. And so, and then, too, for them to know that they have someone that's expecting them when they come in and is ready for them, it takes takes away a lot of stress. I mean, there's still a lot of stress and anxiety there, but just the familiarity is helpful. Yeah. So we take that very seriously. When we tell a family, we are your people, we take it very seriously. We're the first ones they contact um, with questions. We're the first ones they contact when they arrive at the hospital. We're the last ones they see before they leave the hospital. So we are a stable team of, of loving, supporting, nurturing people that are in their lives from that point forward. And that's a great importance that we need to make sure that families have that and and we're available. What we just described is really the role that Scott and I play when a family is in the hospital. So let's kind of change our focus now and talk about what happens when a family leaves the hospital. And sometimes Rachel is involved in both points of contact, but sometimes only at the end when they're leaving the hospital. So let's, let's really let Rachel and Mary Beth describe why aftercare is so, so important, why it's the building blocks for everything that we do. Yeah, so, of course, when I first meet these families, a lot of times I've already been introduced to them through Leanne and Scott and even Mary Beth sometimes, which is helpful, you know, building that person up and for an expectation to be met. Yeah, exactly. And so, when I go in, I typically will see them after the delivery of the baby. There have been times where I've met them during the process but of labor and delivery. And if it's a hospice family, of course, it's before. But seeing them after delivery is helpful, too, because I feel like at that point, parents are really ready to kind of start thinking about home and siblings. Many, especially if it's an unexpected death, the thought of having to talk to their kids about the baby's death is heartbreaking exactly, and it's another point of grief that they have to go through and think about and so we talk a lot about how it's important to take care of yourself but also you have another responsibility in your children at home right and so I have gone as far as even literally telling them what to say Mm -hmm. generally what I do is tell me about your kids what are they like because we all know that every kid is different no one is the same no family's the same no case is the same and so figuring out what their children are like you know who where they are um, developmentally and having that foundation to be able to support them and what they need as far as talking with their children about the baby's death right what type of resources do we offer for children um so Mary Beth briefly kind of mentioned like some aftercare therapy options, but what do you typically explain to families that we can offer? Yeah, so I go in with physical resources as well, and depending on how the situation's going, I might give it to mom, I might give it to dad, I might give it to grandma, Mm -hmm. but things in there are what will I tell the children, tips on how to talk to children, journals, ideas as well, and then Mary Beth supplies the Sam siblings bags and and maybe you can 
tell more about that. But, you know, there's books and those kinds of resources as well. And then we do talk about you will be receiving follow-up care. Mm-hmm. And so you we will continue to ask you how your family's doing, how are your children doing. And, you know, it's important to be honest in those conversations and so that we can provide the therapy that they may or may not need. And then also, too, just talking to parents of expectations there where their grief cycle, the kid's grief cycle is going to be completely different. And where you may be at a really great spot in your life, your kid may come into the kitchen and say something about the baby. And then it just hits you in the gut. And so we talk a lot about that. Yeah, completely throws the family dynamic back off kilter again because mom and dad and grandpa and grandma might have already processed that emotion. And then the child comes back in with more questions. And so they start all over again. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that you kind of prepare the family for what to expect later, because if you've never experienced death or grief, you truly have no idea what to do, what to say, how to react, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. So your role is so, so important to our team. Another thing is modeling parents remembering that they are still the parents and they're modeling behavior for their children. And so most cases, children have never experienced death before. And so they are teaching them how to grieve. Right. And they are modeling that behavior. So um, we talk a lot about how to put words to feelings, really explaining, I feel this way because that is something I think that kids don't understand because their brains are still developing. They don't understand why they're hungry and why they're angry or why they feel this way. And so I'm sad because I'm mad because Mm -hmm. things that we often, we understand why we, well, most of the time as adults, we understand why we feel the way we feel. There's still processes where we don't, but in those situations, really kind of digging in and figuring that out to be able to help the children understand why they feel the way they feel. I think that's a thing that i have been asked more recently is you know when I do ask them how are the kids doing how are you doing and that is something they always say is you know I don't like them to see me cry or when I start to cry I just go lock myself in the bedroom and he keeps asking me why I'm crying and I'm like well answer answer him Mm -hmm. like tell him why you're crying tell him why you're sad Mm -hmm. because it makes him sad to see mommy crying and he doesn't understand. So opening up that that time, if they're, you know, you can only do so much if they're two years old. But when they're at the age where they can understand why mommy's sad and all that stuff, then I think it, it makes a difference in having that open communication with mm-hmm. your child for sure. And then like Rachel said, and um, I said this earlier, connecting with the moms from having a loss. So when we had our loss, our child was only not even two yet. And he's almost seven now. So that is one thing I just had a conversation with a mom this week about. Is She said, I'm afraid that my two-year-old will forget. And I said, you know, my husband and I have processed the grief at this time. And then when he turned six five six years old and he saw pictures of baby brother in the house but he realizes baby brother really isn't here I had a conversation with Rachel a little over a year ago and I was like you have got to help me out like exactly (laughs) what do I say because he keeps going to this stone we received at his funeral he keeps rubbing it and crying and 
you know, he, he tells me things that he really didn't do. And, and Rachel, one thing that I tell moms now that stuck with me that Rachel said is, you know, don't tell him any different. Like, let him have that memory, even though it might not have happened. Mm-hmm. Let him hold on to that because that's what he holds on to of his baby brother. And so he may be 25 when I really say, you know, you really didn't get to hold your baby brother. But if you ask him right now, he'll look at you in the eye and tell you he did. And that is just, that's something that this, just this week I was talking to a mom about and she said, you know, he doesn't understand right now. And I was like, but resources in the sibling bag are books that he can't read right now, but in five years, you're going to need to pull those books out because right. <laughs> he's right. going to need those. My Many Colored Days by Dr. Seuss is one of the books in there that has all the different colors and emotions that go with those colors. And it's a very simple book, and that's what I like about it because it doesn't have a lot of words, but it helps that kid understand that when I see the color red, it's because I'm angry. When I see the color blue, it's I'm peaceful. Like you know, all the different all the different colors and how they can tie that in to that. So, sibling care, especially in the 13 month bereavement, is is very important to me just because it is personal to me, but also because the child no matter the age is always going to be a piece of them missing just as much as that piece is missing from mom and dad they have a sibling that's not here with them here on earth so I think it's very important it is so we talk a lot about there's three questions Mm -hmm. to always ask yourself when talking to kids about death divorce anything hard any type of trauma any type of trauma any hard talk The first question you ask yourself is, what does the child need to know? The second question, what do they want to know? Because they'll let you know how much they want to know. And the third is, what can they understand? So what do they need to know, want to know, and understand? Those are usually the three driving factors of how to start a conversation about hard topics. Mm -hmm. And to use those three questions at many different times in that child's life, because that the answer to those questions at age two it's different than at age six so having those three questions to ask over and over and over again at different stages in the child's life is important it gives the parents something they can hang on to and 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 go okay so at age two he only needed to know Mm -hmm. that his baby brother didn't survive but now at age seven he might need to know what happened Mm -hmm. or that it's not going to happen to him Mm -hmm. and so those three questions are just so valuable for parents to have and to pull out of their resource toolbox sometimes. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, Mary Beth, you have had many different roles over the last couple of years, but now specifically, you're helping us in bereavement care. And so, we're so excited to learn a lot more about what our goal is in bereavement, what our plan is, how we reach out to families. Just give a brief description of like what you do with a family when once they leave the hospital. So, I uh, like going in, usually 30 minutes before they're, they're usually ready to go and waiting to be wheeled out. And I walk in there and I just say, hey, or this is me. This is who I am. And I'll be calling you in a week. <laughs> so face um, to a name, face to a name, basically, just because, you know, some people don't answer the phone whenever I call. So especially the ones who didn't meet me, I've seen a pattern <laughs> because they don't they think it's just some random person from the hospital calling to ask about their experience their care, yeah. and they don't want to talk about it but if I go in there and I say hey like go ahead and put my number in your phone I'm going to be calling you in about a week ever since I've been doing that for the last month they they answer my text messages my calls and and everything it's made a 
huge difference. Yeah. So that is one thing that, that I started doing when I, when I started this role. And I appreciate you letting me do that. So I start contact at exactly a week after they leave the hospital. This is kind of a reminder text because their experience here in the hospital can be a blur. That's true. And sometimes they can be here only one day. Sometimes they're here for three days or longer. So they meet so many people in that hospital room that, you know, I kind of reintroduce myself over text and say, hey, like, remember I came in right before you left, you know. I'm with Butterflies Embrace Program, and I just wanted you to have my number. I'll be calling you in the next couple of days. And so then probably 10 to 13 days out, I call them, and we kind of talk about how they're doing, what their needs are, and then start setting up now virtual home visits. Supposed to be in-home visits, but now they're done virtually. So we do those Zoom, FaceTime, Facebook Messenger, I think I downloaded another app the other day for somebody. (laughs) However we can do it, however we can get that done. And so have a virtual home visit with that person definitely before month one of that milestone. And why is that important? Like the intervals that we set up for bereavement care are important. It's It's a solid, consistent person they can rely on, just like they have us during the hospital stay. But to have that in place when they leave the hospital is very valuable to them. Why do you feel like it's so important to have that consistency? So what I've realized and what I didn't realize till I was in this role full time was between week one and two, husband or partners going back to work and they're home by themselves. Mm -hmm. If they don't have other children, they're there by themselves. If they do, then they're there with themselves and the child. And that's a huge trigger is being alone for the first time because their their person that they count on is not there with them right all day having that face-to-face conversation before you hit the one month milestone is they're getting ready to go to their postpartum four to six week postpartum visit and so preparing them for that is why is what I think is important for that face-to-face conversation of you know, this is kind of what you need to expect. A lot of them are dreading that postpartum appointment because it's not going how they had planned. And so that's why it's so important. And then we have home visits, I think after month six, there's three home visits within the 13 month care. And I I do believe they're all appropriately placed in certain milestones and certain points. And then along with those virtual home visits, they do get monthly mail outs. Mm -hmm. Do you often, do they, can they call you to have you come back in in addition to those three visits? Yes. So after each patient leaves the hospital, Leanne and I kind of assess each case. It's like I, I told somebody the other day, I was like, Leanne and I make a special plan for each patient. So some patients may have more contact than other not everybody receives the same 13 month, but some may need me to call more than others. Right. You kind of assess their yes, assess spiritual, their, yes. emotional state. Yes. Right. Yeah. So we, we do that on three levels. And so it's, yeah. it's good for people to understand too, that just because we say you're, you know, at a low level of, of need does not mean there's not needs. It just means that 
you have the resources in place and you have the support in place to manage that appropriately from what we can tell during that 13-month period um, all the way up to person that's a high risk, someone who doesn't have a lot of support, who has very little spiritual foundation, who might even have a history of drug or alcohol abuse or has a history of mental illness. Those are all risk factors that we want to make sure that we we know that family. We, we see what their needs are. And each one of those family members have different needs. And so we try to reach out in different ways to different family members. It, Mayor Beth's job is not just dealing with mom. Sometimes it's dealing with mom and dad or grandparents who call us again and say, I'm really concerned or I'm having issues myself. The community outreach of what Mary Beth's role is, it just keeps growing and becomes more intensive and more, much, much more than people realize. I think that can go into our future goals right. with this program is building a better relationship with the OB clinics in our area and our affiliate hospitals as well, just so that there are more people that are certified to take care of these families Mm -hmm. that can connect them back to us even if we don't do the care personally while they're in the hospital they at least are connected back to us for aftercare yeah and so one way that we reach out into the community is we know the type of specialized care that a family dealing with grief needs and so we only allow certified staff members to care for these families and that means they've had special training they've been through an intensive two-day course to make sure they understand about grief and the needs of families and what's appropriate to say what's not appropriate to say they have a grasp of what our resources are they know how to discuss each team member and what we're going to do and kind of prepare the family for their journey while they're in the hospital. Those staff members have been through a very intensive training. And so we basically assign that patient with one of our certified staff members to make sure they get the best quality care they can receive. And so that's at every interval of their care from the OB clinics to the ED to when they enter the hospital to when they leave the hospital. And so that's a really important piece that someone in the community might not know is that we are so geared toward making sure families have the best. Our goal is to make sure they have the best of everything, and that is important, very, very important. That's one of the sure it's one of the points that I stress when I meet with them is the fact that our program is unique. We are one of three hospitals in the state of Tennessee that have this comprehensive program. Right, and that means that we offer care to so many different types of families in so many different settings like I mentioned from the OB clinic to the ED to um, labor and delivery to aftercare to a full comprehensive 13-month bereavement package. Very few hospitals do this and and very few hospitals do it correctly and I'm so so proud of our team because that's something we have made our top priority is to make us stand out from others in our area. So to wrap up, I I would basically want whoever's listening to this podcast, whether you are a grieving family or you're someone in the community, you're listening while you're driving um, to work or to church, know that there are going to be people in your life that you've never thought about before that have experienced grief and grief of the death of a child. It's very specific. It has many, many needs. And to know that there is a resource in this community is very important. Mary Beth and I talk about all the time that we know there's a stigma around grief. There's a stigma around the death of a child specifically. But when you become aware of this great valuable resource that we have right here in our local community, 
that can help a family navigate through the journey of grief. For some reason, your eyes are opened and you begin to realize that, you know, my neighbor down the street, this happened to them. Mm -hmm. Or my Sunday school member, I remember this happened to them a few years ago. Or unfortunately, it might have happened in your own family. And so just having the knowledge in the back of your mind is very helpful. And so pass this along, whoever you're, if you're listening right now, just pass this information along to the next person that you talk with that, hey, if you need this resource, we have it here in Jackson. Yeah, I think it's a really important thing for people to understand that going through situations like this, you're not alone. You know, there's, there's a team here that legitimately does care about you and your well-being of your family and the people that you impact every day. Thank you for what you're doing. You know, you're really, you really are changing lives here in West Tennessee and beyond. So keep it up. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you. In the description of this podcast, I have everyone's uh, name and contact information. If you have more questions specifically for each one, there's also a link in the description about the Butterflies Embrace program, about infant loss, about the Serenity Garden that's offered here at West Tennessee Healthcare at Jackson General. So if you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out. And if you have any specific questions for the podcast, you can reach out to wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. This has been another episode of We Talk Health.